focusing in on the structure, how it is built and what it looks like and how that, that structure and the message um, is built, the frame of Genesis chapter 1, because it's, it's beautiful, it really is. Um, so last week I was told I was a little confusing. Uh, I threw a lot of stuff at you guys, and no one asked any questions. Um, so, um, so if you have questions, please don't be afraid to ask them. There are no dumb questions, just unanswered ones. Um, I might give a dumb answer, but that's, that's something different. Um, so uh, the structure of Genesis chapter 1 is such that you have a summary prologue. And you can see this on that handout that's floating or that, that's there. If you did not get one, it's on the table in the back. You can raise your hand, so I want to bring you one. Um, and some of you need to just should have brought yours from last week. <laughs> yes, it's that one. <laughs> it's the same one as last week's. Um, so uh, this, and you can see it on the board here. Of course, you can download it for yourself. I'm, I, I, I'm using the Bible Projects stuff, the free notes that they provided. I rearranged my notes a bit to match theirs um, because they do a good job with it. So what you see is the structure of uh, Genesis chapter 1. Um, where you have, let me grow that up a little bit, bam, all right, I like green, all right, so you have a prologue and an epilogue, which, uh, sum, the sum up the, the chapter, so in the beginning, God created the skies and the land, and then he's going to continue to show how he does that through the next rest of it, and then it'll finish. These were finished in the skies and the land and all their hosts. So we've got this epilogue and summary that are surrounding these passages. Um and we have seven sets of seven words. I love that. One, two, uh, well, sorry, two and three, four, five, six, seven. And no, I do not have a nice handwriting, and I apologize for that, but that is, that is as good as it gets when you have dysgraphia. I'm sorry. Uh, four, five, six, and seven. So seven groups of seven, which is awesome because seven is something that they're doing here to relate it to that word that relates to completeness and also to rest. So it's something that we, we use. So they, they've, they've, they've tied it into the structure, this whole uh, idea of uh, of completeness into it, uh, into the whole structure of Genesis chapter one. Uh, so so far we have talked about Genesis chapter one one, Barashit, 
uh, in beginnings, in the head of, and the, when things started, when it began time to begin, um, bara created God. It's the idea of to hammer out, to, to make. Uh, the, the, the only God can do this bara. Ever, the rest, mankind, we have a different word that's used for mankind creating stuff, making stuff. But God baras. So barashit bara. I'm going from this way in the Hebrew. Barashit bara Elohim. That's the word for the heavenly host. The any any sky being. Anything that's in the sky, any any other world. Uh, it can be uh, we um, quick reference a review for some of you. Um, could be God, could be gods, could be angels, could be uh, a human being who has passed away, uh, they all get thrown in the word Elohim. So spiritual being is what that word Elohim means. Um, and uh, because we don't get the name of the spiritual being in Genesis chapter 1, we don't get it till Genesis chapter 2. And they do that on purpose to like say, hey, this is a spiritual being. That's so amazing and so much better than all of y'all's. Because remember, they're in conversation, not with what we're in conversation with. They're in conversation with the Babylonian gods and the Egyptian gods that were at that time period when it was written. And the gods of Persia, uh, uh, the uh, Avast, and the... And the uh, so, and he's, and so they're saying, hey, our god, so much better than all your gods. <laughs> um, and so there's the saying that, so there's, but they're not saying... Yahweh yet. They're just saying, it's Elohim. And they're like, whoa, this is an Elohim. He's better. He's, let me tell you about him. That's kind of how Genesis chapter 1 is set up. Let me tell you about him. So we got et, uh, which is the direct object marker, uh, which we talked about that last week, the word et and all that it could mean in this particular verse. 99% of the time, though, it's just going to be, hey, this is what the verb is referring to. Created is the verb. What did they create? Hashemayim, the waters above. They created the waters. So Hashemayim, or the heavens, we, we would think sky in this situation. Sky and etz, va'etz, ha'eretz, the earth, the land. Not like the globe, the land that we're living on. All right, so... Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. I know that was a uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1, 2. That was a, a review. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I love this. And uh, I know I've already said this, but I love this passage because it's like, there's, there's two different words for waters there. There's the deep, which is the, uh, the chaotic waters, the, the, the tome. We'll talk about that in just in a minute. And then there's the waters, the hamayim. So like God's presence automatically brings rest. God's presence brings rest. Peace and calms and separates the chaos. The word, uh, we'll go back to the to home, the deep here in a minute. Uh, but first we have the word 
Toho Vavohu. That's fun, huh? Toho Vavohu. Tohu uh, means formless or wild and waste. Um, so I like to say, like this one right here, I like to say that it was, um, it was um, so formless. I, I don't like the word formless necessarily because it gives us this idea that there was nothing there, but it says the earth was, the land was. The land was already there. So the idea was that it was untamed. It was unliverable. It was uh, something man could not dwell on. Animals could not dwell on. And it was empty. There was nothing there. So formless, wild. We're, we're to think of this desert space that, you know, just, you know, not, not, even, not even this desert we live here. Desert. You know, Sahara. You know, desert that it's 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 unable to support life and it was empty and so we have this this formless and and waste uh waste and and uh um we see this actually in another passage um uh, there it is deuteronomy 32 9 and 10 uh, for the Lord's portion to his people, Jacob's, the allotment of his inheritance, he found him in the desert land and hollowed out Tohu, a wilderness of a wilderness. So he, he hollowed out um, a, in this one it's called a barren and from away. So it's, it's Tohu, a howling Tohu of wilderness in a circle that he cares for him. Um, and guarded his eyes. So, so that idea, that tohu is that idea that it doesn't have life. There's nothing that can be sustained there. So in the God, he created the heavens and the land. Now the land, when it began, as he's creating it, there's, there's, it's, it's without life. And so he says, so he's in that formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now, darkness, deep, uh, that, that to home, these are both words that we use to represent. Does anyone remember what I said they were represented? It's also a mathematical theory. That's right. Good job, Carmella. <laughs> Via Babs. <laughs> uh, that's right. Those things represent chaos. We're going to introduce a couple more things as we go through here that represent the same chaotic uh, uh, atmosphere. So, uh, chaos. Um, so, oops, I dropped my pencil. <sighs> All right, so chaos. So the darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of the wa of water was hovering. The deep there is that word tohom. Tohom. Um, this is not the only place we see the tohom. Uh, one of the places that we might see him is the, the, the is in um, Job. Chapter 38. 
Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recess? Remember, God is talking to Job at this point saying, you know, Job, what do you know? Uh, Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the Tahom? Recesses of the deep. Have you gone to that place, that chaotic area that no man can live in no animal that that surface the the waters beneath the surface that i have separated because i want you to have land and coastline and and that that i have created this place for you and uh, you know the gates of of the depth have revealed to you or have you seen the the gates of the deep darkness um so they they um, so yeah so so they have this home this this idea of the deep abyss this is a, a place where people don't go the Hebrew people will never be sea for uh, uh, faring people they're not the fair uh, the Phoenicians they're not the Philistines they don't ever actually become very sea faring people in their minds the sea will always represent a kind of a chaotic place. And that's why, but they have different words for, for like Hamayim, like Mayim, water. Uh, they have words for sea, like the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of, but it's not the same. It's not the tome. It's not the, the, the dark abyss, the deep. Uh, you can tell when they're, and uh, this is one of those things we miss a lot because we don't read it in the Hebrew anymore, you know, because that's just not something we do. Um, because we all speak English, um, but we miss a lot. So anytime, a lot of times if you're reading and you see the word deep, like deep as reference to waters, you might want to ask yourself, like look it up in a concordance. Or I love uh, digital Bibles. I mean, when I sit down and read on my own, I often use a paper Bible, but I love digital Bibles when I'm studying because I can click on the word and it can tell me what the Hebrew is. And, <laughs> um, and those resources are free online uh, or you can pay for them. Uh, if you're going to pay for it, I like Logos, uh, Logos Bible software, and I can get you 20% off. I think it's 20%, 10 to 20% off using a code that I've got. Um, if you're looking for that. But you can also go to places like Blue Letter Bible is a favorite of mine. And it has, it's, you know, we'll let you click on it and, and see um, that for free. Um, so like, like, so if you see the word deep in referencing to waters or the, or the pits, you might click on it and say, hey, is this the word tome? Is that that chaos is chaotic uh, reference? Um, All right, let's go on. Um, now, we're going to notice that uh, the three elements of um, this order in Genesis 1 and 2 find parallels in near ancient cosmology, and uh, each one is separately addressed in the three days in Genesis 1. Um, So, for example, let's look at this. Darkness is going to be addressed on day one. The land is wild and waste. That's going to be addressed on day three. The face of the deep abyss, that's the water, is going to be separated and ordered on day two. 
So God, so we have these chaotic symbols that were wild and waste, that darkness, the depths, and God's going to address those issues. Let me tell you. So we got Genesis chapter one where it says God created. Let me show you how He created it. It was this, and now God's addressing that. Let me let me show you what He did. Because remember, they're they're in conversation with these. Other, let me show you what our God is. He's addressing all these chaos symbols. I want to address them. I want to deal with them. Yes, Aiden. It does. He separates water from water. Because what he does, we'll talk about this in a minute, but let me answer the question. He separates the sky, which they see as the waters because it's blue, and the waters from above and the waters from below, the, so the, the oceans and the sky. So he separates it and makes a place where bi- human beings can be. Well, it is real life in, their, in the way they viewed the water. And you can separate water and turn it into a gas. And you can separate H2O and you can, uh, 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 you can separate the oxygen from the hydrogen if you want to really get separated. But you're right, water's hard to separate. I, yeah, you're right, it can. Yeah, that's right. All right, so let's go on and let's look at days one through six. All right, now I'm assuming you have read the passage. We'll probably read quite a bit of it ourselves in class, but I'm going to assume that you have read Genesis chapter 1. So, um, all right, so, oops, I just colored on my page. All right, um, so, how many times does God count, uh, does, does God speak? Count it up. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Pull out your, your swords, pull it out, turn to that first page of the Bible, not, not the first page of your translation, the first page of the actual Bible, and, and count. How many times does God speak in there? What? Higher. Genesis 1. Well, I'm going through. When I say Genesis 1, I do mean Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3. Because, uh, because that's Genesis chapter 1. Remember we had that discussion where we screwed things up. <laughs> we don't do it all. It doesn't, most of the time it's cool. But on the first page... Genesis chapter 1 actually ends on Genesis chapter 2, 3. Uh, less than that, actually. 
There's 10 of them. There's 10 of them. He says he spoke. Vayahi. Ten times, and on day three and six, he speaks and creates multiple acts, so there's more speaking on day and three and six. Um, so uh, let's go through each day separately. Let's, okay, so day, um, all right, so um, we'll, well, let's look at, what, what do you see automatically as you go through Day one and four. Day one and four have uh, are are joined together. Um, they they match. Day one and four match. Um, on day one, God provides Himself light. He said, and, and, and Elohim said. Vayahi or vayahi or, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And the dark he called the, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. Day one. I love that. Let's just pause right there for that. I love that he. It's it's it's. As he separates it, he names it. It's like naming it gives it creation. It's what makes it what it is, is his naming it. Um, I like that. Uh, he, he names it. He limits its scope. Um, and by containing it within the cycle of periods, of light and day. Uh, darkness. It's a light and darkness, day and night, and so he he limits it and he puts it like there won't be no, it won't be light forever. It won't be dark forever. There's a cycle. There's a rhythm to it that that we can find hope in all of our life. Right? There's never uh, you know. But he is, this is him separating it away from the chaos. The darkness is he's making a place away from the, the chaos. And we're going to see later on, and we'll get there in Revelation, they talk about no more night, no more darkness. Well, they're not saying it'll never be like nighttime. Uh, you know, all, this, all the night owls are going to be sad. No, that's not what they're saying. Um, they're saying that there'll be no more of this chaos element. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so we have, uh, there was light, and God saw that it was good, and light from darkness, and light and day. But on day four, you can see the, uh, there's a clear parallel between them. Um, God's attention returns to this heavenly realm, because in day one, he's in the heavens, day two, he's in the waters, day three, he's on the land. Well, then he goes back to the heavens, day four, and then he's uh, in the waters on day two, on day five, and then he's back on the land on day six. There's this pattern that we see that we're going to see this pattern. We're going to look more closely at that pattern, but it's skies, the middle water, the waters, and then the, so there's the, the heavens, 
the, the, the waters in the middle and then the land. And there's this, this pattern that's going to be repeated um, in, Je- in Genesis chapter 1. And so um, God said, let there be light. So on day four, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be a sign for the festivals, for the days and the years. Let them be, uh, be for lights in the dome of the skies and to give light on the land. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the great lights to rule the day and the small lights to rule the night and also the stars. And God placed them in the dome of the skies and gave the land and to rule over the day and the night and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Juliet, come here. Um, so, uh, so we have this, 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 this parallel, right? He goes back in the heavens. There was light, and then there was, he created the things that created the light. So we have one, two, three, four, five, and six. There's this parallel that is going on here that, uh, that um, and so he, he creates it. Uh, that we can say the similarities to, yes, the wild, the tohu. Um, there's the one I'm looking for. Tohu, the wild. He deals with that in one, two, three. And then the waste, the fact that it's inhabited on days four, five, and six. So, he's, so those, those tohu vavohu is a category are categories for days one, two, three, and then four, five, and six. He's dealing with it. So we have these, this, this, these, him dealing with the issues. So he's, and then the, the parallels are one and four. And so, um, so he he creates light and he calls and, and then he puts things that create light on day four. He fills it with the stars and the moon and the sun. Uh, he delegates the lights, the role that God himself played on day one. He was the light, but he delegates that to, uh, to, to the, the stars and the sun and the moon. He delegates that. Yep, he transferred that authority to something else. Uh, here's an interesting, uh, it's kind of on the subject, but it's kind of an interesting side rabbit. So let's chase it for a second. Um, okay, God is all-powerful. We know that, right? That's part of his nature. God is also sovereign. He's king. But let me ask you this. Let me, let me, let me, I've been thinking about this lately. Um, actually, this week is one of the things I've been wrestling with in myself. Um, God, before he made his creation, there was nothing to be sovereign over. So sovereignty 
is a temporal, meaning within time, as long as there's time, it's creation, part of aspect of God. But he's always all-powerful. So he can delegate any part of his sovereignty to anything he wants. He can limit himself, which he does like in Jesus Christ. We, we see him limit himself. He also delegates authority, which he doesn't have to do to his creation. He's still sovereign, but he delegates that authority because he's, he's all-powerful and he's dealing in a temporal uh, aspect with his sovereignty. It's, you guys can wrestle with that on your own. Uh, take that one home. and uh, So yeah, we, he did it to us too. He did create time, yeah. He was before there was time. Yeah. <coughs> I would say God is using a people group. I'm not going to say person because they were collective back then. The idea of individualistic is something that's new. That's that's us. Um, they were people. So they, God used a people group and the way they saw the world around them to explain not just the physics, it's, but it's not really about the physics. It's about the metaphysics. It's less about exactly how it happened and more about why it happened. I would say they're taking stories from um, their conversations, their old stories, because this probably didn't get written down in its final form. I'm going to say in its final form. Moses may have had it written down at some point, but that's after the Exodus event. Um, but it probably, and that's when they took oral things, so he might have had things written down, but it probably didn't fit finalized until they were in Persia. Uh, so God is using this telling and the retelling and the refinalizing to, to explain something that's not necessarily, it's not, it's not really about, when we say, well, this is how God did it in like uh, evolution kind of versus creation kind of way, I think we're missing the point because it's not about that. It's about, I mean, it's an important conversation to have. We had that conversation. But it's, a, but it's about what God is doing with us, our story. Uh, so it is an ongoing collaboration, and it is something that we're working with. And so I do think this, we can take what God is doing here, like in day one, he's creating a time. That's, that's really what he's doing in day one, is he's creating light, darkness, and psychness. He's creating time. And so we could, we could say that this is how he did it, but, but it was explained to people that had a view. If God was to explain it to us today, it might look completely different because we see the world differently. We just have different encyclopedias. Um, 
we don't know. This story is 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 probably very old, but it's 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 not like it was one person. This is a people group. This is something that this is obviously finalized by a priesthood, uh, very ordered, very uh, very stylized, uh, very poetic uh, for a reason. And so we we can't get caught up in the idea that God like came down and write this down with your pen on your tablet. You didn't have tablets. Let me show you what a tablet is first. No, um, um, that yeah, on paper with your ink pen, and um, that's that would be. To, to, to say that that's how the Bible came about is just not ignoring the fact that the Bible takes, is, takes thousands of years to write. And I'm learning things how Oh, absolutely. I believe God is speaking to us through this word. This is the, uh, the, the thing that truth is portrayed through. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's, we, we have to fight the resistance to say this is a history book. That's not what it's about. We have to fight the, fight the urge to say this is a science book. That's not what it's about. We have to fight the urge to say this is a mathematic book because I know that book of numbers has all kinds of math in it. No, it's not what it's about. It's not a legal code. That's not what it is. Um, it's not about your taxes. That's not what it is. We have to fight these urges. Um, the Bible is, is much deeper than that, much bigger than that. And, and it's meditative literature. And so we're supposed to sit. I mean, the idea that you're supposed to get all of the information I'm telling you, your first read through Genesis chapter 1 is silly. Um, it's supposed to be read and reread. And match the patterns and say, what is this? What about this? And what about that? And to say, I don't know. And some things you just are beyond the capable of us. But we're supposed to get the ideas. That, you know, and of course, some things we have to re-remember because we have forgotten them because our culture is so far removed from the Israeli culture that was, even the modern Hebrew culture has to re-remember some of this stuff because they're so far removed from when it was written. Uh, I, you know, um, I'm reading a book right now, Misreading the Scripture with Individualistic Eyes. Oh, and if you want a good book, pick that one up. I'm not finished with it yet, so I can't swear I buy it, but it's, it's a good book. Um, but... But one thing they're talking about is like, for example, since Augustine, which he was around, what, 390 to 400 uh, when he wrote his confessions, since that time period, we've been starting to see the world more and more and more individualistic. Before that, it was communal. It wasn't about I, it was about we. And, you know, there's good things and bad things about both societies, but the fact is that the Bible was written in a communal voice. And we often put our individualistic voice into it, and therefore we misread passages. Uh, take them out of context. 
Um, some of our big arguments we have don't even have to do with what they're talking about because we've individualized it and it's not about that at all. It's about the community. Um, and, uh, of course, then we have the honor-shame society that the Bible was written in. That idea of honor, every action brings honor or shame, not just upon the individual. Yes, on the individual, but on the whole f- family, friendship, pattern, group that you're part of. Um, and we've forgotten a lot of this. When you read the scriptures, some of those passages, and, uh, and what makes it frustrating for me at least, I don't know, I'm sure for you guys as well, is because it's written in that culture, they assume you know that material. And so they don't write it down because it's assumed. We do the same kind of things all the time in our writings. You go read a book today, it's assumed you know that what's going on in that culture. Uh, a modern book, you know, you read, uh, uh, you know, any of the, the Harry Potters or the, you know, the, the Twilight or, or you know, you know, or, or you know, uh, uh, Louis L'Amour or whatever. Uh, you know, you, or if it, yeah, even social media. Thank you. Social media. It's all written in a context that it assumes you know a great deal of information. And that's fine if you're reading it in that culture, in that society, in that now, and you do know all that. But we're, you know, 2,000 years removed. <laughs> uh, actually, over 2,000 years removed. We don't have the same way of thinking. Uh, we assume, we often look at, the, at things and say, oh, uh, well, the way they view, you know, like, like the, I, was, I was reading this book and then we're, I was working on the idea of family. Uh, you know, we assume everyone views family the same way we do. And we're not even realizing that we're an apple tree and they're an orange tree. <laughs> uh, we, we don't even, we're not even on a different branch. We're a different tree altogether. <laughs> Uh, so we, we, we work at different things, and so it's one of those things that we, uh, we, we wrestle with. Um, and, um, and things we want to know about in the Bible just aren't there um, because they weren't what the point, you know? And um, anyways, I've gone way off topic. <laughs> That's okay. We've got plenty of time. We can come back to this next week. That's all right. Um, I was planning on getting through this material today. We are not going to. I'll have to rearrange my schedule. That's cool. Um, okay, so day one and four. So uh, I want to get through at least day four. Okay, uh, this, uh, so, uh, so he separates dark, light and dark, and he delegates that role, and so he calls these signs, physical symbols of God's own light, his glory, his power, that they meet the darkness on day one. They're the ones that, that, that reflect his power and his authority. And we go back to that story that I remember in Egyptian mythology, where every night they have this God, Ra, that carries, every day he carries it across the, the sun across the sky, and then he has to take on the darkness monster, the chaos snake, every night so he can, if he doesn't defeat it, it won't, the sun won't rise again the next day because he won't make it through the underworld. And so God's symbol of his power is that they meet every day, that he is the one who's, that fights, the, but it's not like he has to go and battle the darkness every night. He has to fight through the underworld. 
this God, this Elohim, just separates it, just creates vayahi or just speaks and there's light. Uh, we haven't got there yet, but yes, he does say that it is good. Uh, well, he saw that the light was good. Uh, so he calls the day and night, and there was evening, and there was morning, day one. Notice day one, he doesn't say, um, uh, look at he said, God saw that the light was good. So the light was good as... Uh, so, so that it was good for what? For him? He doesn't need that. It's good for his creation, for us. Remember, this is our interaction with God and our story with him. It's good for us. It was good for his creation, his plants, his animals that he's going to create. Light is good. And to separate, and, but not just good because it creates, you know, we need photosynthesis. Good because it creates a place away from the chaos of night. Now, I've got to remember back when these, if this was originally a very old story, which we think it was, you know, finalized late, but, you know, at some point, but very old in its origin, there's no street lamps. You know, your light is only as big as your fire is. The night would be a very scary, chaotic place. Yeah, I mean, just place, yeah, so you have the moon. On day four, you have this moon that reflects light so you can see during the night at least once a month, though, it goes away. And then at full full night, you have the, the full moon, so you can actually move around during that part of the month. Uh, so we have this, it's good, light is good, because it places a place away from the chaos of night, of the darkness. Yeah, we'll get to the creatures here in a minute. Well, probably tomorrow, yeah. No, but it's it's but but it is what it but that's the symbolism we're given. We're given that this is good. Good for what? It's not God good for God. He doesn't need light. He doesn't need darkness. That's that's he is God. Um but it's good for his creation that he's planning, that he's, that he's doing. And we've got to the the idea is that this was not written like okay, day 1 I did this. This was written after it was all done and so it's looking forward. But it's us looking backward as, we, as it's written. So it's, by the time it's written down, it's already been done. That's how, I mean, although, I mean, without creation, it doesn't get written down. So that's, that's not how it works. Um, so he saw that it was good, but he, he naming things good and uh, away from chaos. Um, and so on day four, he, you know, he says the lights, there's lights, um, they're sitting next to each other, uh, and uh, and so let, let there be lights in the rakia. Remember that word, let there be lights in the expanse of that rakia. That's that dome, that dome that was over the sky that separated the waters. That rakia. Um, and so. Um, so, and, and God is separating. God is, is naming on day one. Now, uh, um, 
and, but God hangs the authority to guard over the boundaries of light and, and day to the creatures he entails, the stars, the moon, the sun, uh, delegating that authority. Um, he calls them, I like that in verse 18, he calls them rulers to rule the day and the night. He calls them rulers. Um, these are the authorities. These are the thing that, that uh, has authority over the day and the night, which is interesting because we often don't think of God giving up his sovereignty, but he does limit himself. He, he delegates that authority. He says, this is uh, me telling you, this is your responsibility. Uh, later on in the development of Roman Catholicism, these will actually often be looked on as angels of the sun and the moon and the stars that are, have authority over them. I don't know if I buy that, but that's one of the things that will happen in, uh, in later on in many traditions. Um, and in fact, it's what influences Tolkien to write the, uh, when he writes the Silmarillion. If you've never read the Silmarillion, it's before The Hobbit, before The Lord of the Rings. It's a great, complicated, hard piece of work, but it's great. It's fantastic. One of my favorite books. Uh, but it's one of the things that influences him. Um, so, so these are up in the Rakia, the heavens, and, uh, and the rulers, the sun and the stars. All right. So we don't have time to do day two and, uh, two and five. Um, we will go faster. But we but so let's let's pick up on day two and five for next week, and then we'll talk about three and six, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about seven. But we're going to take a break f before we get into too much into rest. We're going to come back to rest later on. I want to talk about some other things as well um, as we talk about uh, the pattern. We will mention that he rests on day seven, and maybe a little bit there, but. We want to talk about, we want to really home in on the idea of rest in the Bible, so we're going to do that later. Um, that's, a, that's a fun one. So, but we were looking at this pattern. Um, one and four, two and, uh, two and five, three and six, they're related. Um, we'll, so, all right, we got about 10 minutes. Anyone have any questions before we pray? No. Yes, Lenny. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Having a clue. Um, because it probably did not originate in this form. This form, as it's being told, as it's written down to us, has been finalized. You know, like you have your first draft, right? I don't know when the first draft was. Uh, I don't know how that first draft looked. It could have been a combination of two or three different things. We don't know. We can't know that. 
What we can know is that there was an oral tradition way before it gets written down. We know that. We don't know exactly what that looked like. We do know it probably formalized fairly quickly once it starts being told because they have a, because in oral cultures, they're not like our culture. If I tell you something, you guys have already forgotten by the time we leave out here what I've said. Um, Let's be honest. In oral culture, they have this, this pattern, and that's one of the reasons it may be in this pattern, form, it becomes in this pattern to begin with, is to make it easy to remember. So they formalize, and they, but they formalize it very quickly, uh, and then that pattern in oral cultures, once that story is told, it's not, you know, we play that game of telephone, right, when it changes so much. That's not how it would work in an oral culture, because that's the, the way they, they, they are... Trained different in the way from very, they're trained different. Their, their, their actions are different. Their thoughts are different because they're, that's their society. And so it travels on without change for the most part. Um, we really don't have, this, this seems to be for the most part, you know, there's lots of people guesses as to how this came about, um, but it was probably something passed along via the priesthood. Um, it has a very sense of order, a very sense of, uh, God's, uh, goodness and is, is, um, uh, and it's, it's, it's got a lot of liturgical elements to it. Uh, so it's probably passed along via the priesthood. Um. What we're getting into is the, the discussion of how it physically looked. Now, we've already had those discussions. Physically, I don't have a clue. Metaphysically, the story is about God creating a place away from the chaos. That's what the story is about. How it physically worked through physics, and uh, I don't have a clue about that. And that's not what this. The, I don't. I have. I as when I first came into this passage, when I was in high school and started reading it, I was very much wrapped into Darwin and creationism and all those debates. But as I began to study literal elements, of the the literalness, because of my literal readings of it, I began to realize that. By doing that, I'm actually missing what is being said. It's not about that. It is about him and his separating chaos and creating a place for us to leave. To, to put in that, I'm sorry, just a second, Dennis. To put it back into that is to read it without being literal. It's to figurative, to take it from its culture and its place and its position in the Bible and say, let's shove it into Darwin or let's shove it into our science or let's shove it into the, 
and we're having this conversation. That's an interesting conversation to have, maybe an important one, but it's not what the passage is about. It's not about how it physically happened. This is about what God is doing. Metaphysics. Think about uh, metaphysics. Um, Physics of watch. Watch. The physics of a watch is the gears, the the hour hand, the timing, the the electric, whatever, you know, the winding or the electric or whatever. That's the physics. The metaphysics is why do we have a watch in the first place? What is time? And why do we feel so required to stick to it? That's metaphysics. This passage, when I read it literally in its context, it's not about the physics. It's about the metaphysics. They're telling us something. Dennis, you have a question, but first let's get to Sherry Carroll. She had a question first. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he told pro- maybe the prophets, prophets and the priests, very possibly. Um, I mean, we don't know exactly when this originated. We know that Moses wrote down, the tradition says that Moses Holt wrote down the Torah. But obviously he didn't write down some of the last passages of Genesis because he's dead. Uh, not Genesis, of Deuteronomy. Um, so in Deuteronomy, he's dead when that gets written. So it's not all of it. So what did Moses have written down? How much of that? We don't know. Uh, we do know that the final way the Bible looks, the Old Testament looks, doesn't happen until when they start writing things down because they're losing it after the temple has been destroyed and they're in another foreign land in Babylon. Think the book of, of Daniel. That's when they start writing everything down. They have all these stories. They have fragments. They have books. The Torah has probably been finalized before that, but we don't know. Uh, you know, and then it, and it's, the prophets have done some writing and a lot of talking. And, uh, you know, the school of, uh, uh, you know, of Isaiah has written things down and the school of Jeremiah has written things down. I say school of because I often think it's not just... We often think like, okay, Paul, he sat down and he took his computer out and he typed up the letter. And that's, that's not how writing happened there. The group would sit down and they would talk and they would write down and then they would write a rough draft and then they would, you know, with the clay and then they would finalize it and then they would write it on paper because that's how it was expensive to do. So you had to finalize it. So the group, it was a group effort. That's really how these things work. Um, and, uh, and so... Um, like even the, uh, um, so like uh, so like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're probably written by the the leader was Jeremiah, but he had disciples of his of himself, and they you know they helped write that and that through that process, and um, so it's very possible that this came about through the prophets and the priests and. 
Uh, I think because of the, the way it's structured, it probably came more through the priesthood. Uh, think Aaron um, and, and uh, the priesthood line as it's finalized. But that could have been... But to, to worry about like who it was both first spoken to and how it came about is to also miss the point. Because if it was important, he would have said, and I, Moses, on the 37th day, wrote this down because God told me to. That's not what he does. So that means that's not the point. So that debate is interesting, but not the point. The point is what God is doing with mankind and his creation. And so let's stick to that as we go forward. Um, okay, Dennis, you had one. Well, you could say Adam could have known, but how did, I mean, Adam was at God. Did he have those questions? I mean, I, I <laughs> God, how did you create day one? I mean, is that something he talked about or is he more worried about like, you know, like, yeah, is, is, why not this tree? Um, <laughs> um, it's right. That, that's, that is what faith, and, and maybe we need to, you're right, at, at, at we have faith, we don't know how it happened. Uh, maybe we don't know because if we're focused on the things that we don't know, we're missing the point. Because the story is about something that is there. Um, now, we, we may miss that point because we're outside of our context and we're not, you know, we need to retrain our mind to be back in that mind, the mindset they have. But uh, that is, uh, that's different. That's what's, that's what we really need to be studying is how they would have viewed different passages. Um, okay, uh, let's pray. We'll be dismissed. It's, we're out of time. We'll come back to day two and five next week. Uh, Father God, we praise you today, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful blessing, Lord. We pray that you just bless us as we study, Lord. Help us to focus in on the right things and let go of the things that we may not know, Lord. I pray that uh, we um, that we just focus in on you and your truth, and uh, and that we just uh, say that you know this is uh, this is your truth, and this is your, the what good news is transferred through. And and Lord, I pray that we just um, be in your will, your way, and your study as we just enjoy cre your creation. Help it to be a, a Bible unto ourselves, the, uh, the good news unto us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.